This morning, uh, we are going to have communion. It's going to be at the end of the message. Uh, and we do plan on having communion uh, once a month on a regular basis. So if you haven't gotten one of these, you can go back and get one right now if you want to at home. If you haven't gotten your juice and crackers, whatever you're going to use, coffee and bread, whatever, you might want to go ahead and get that now. So at the end of the message, you can just uh, flow right into that with us. Uh, this has a, uh, been a seven-part series out of the book of Matthew on the Sermon of the Mount. I didn't know it was going to take seven messages for me to get through three chapters, but it did. I won't predict if, if it's going to pick up a little bit faster going forward. I, don't, I, don't, I could uh, uh, you know, predict incorrectly as we continue uh, in Matthew going forward. But I want to say that these three chapters are the longest recorded message that Jesus gave. I'm sure he gave others that long or longer, but for some reason, by the Holy Spirit, when his disciples and they were writing things down, this became the longest sermon. And I want to tell you, it is the best sermon ever preached. And we have it recorded here. And it's the ever, uh, and by, not only, by the greatest preacher that ever preached. So today is a wrapping this up and um, I'm going to ask you to actually uh, join me uh, in the reading of this passage. We're reading some that we did last week again. Uh, we're, we're in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7 uh, through 29. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And I want you to follow along either in your phone or your, your Bible at, at home. We also will have the words online. Uh, excuse me, on the screen here. But I, I'd like for us to do like we did last week. It's just, it has been in my heart, um, a practice that we used to do fairly often. But let's just honor God by standing in the reading of God's word. In the Old Testament, they often did this and stood all day. <laughs> so this is just a few minutes. So I believe you can do it. And, uh, and let's honor God by honoring his word as we follow along together in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7, going uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 29. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and yeah, go ahead, let's read with me. Let's start again, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what a man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And everything, therefore, Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad tree fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name cast out demons, and your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, may they be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that rock and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Lord Jesus, thank you for these eternal truths, this conclusion of this mighty message. Lord, may you have your way by your spirit in our hearts and in our ears and our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Wow, that was the longest reading together I've ever done, I think. That might be in the Guinness Book of World Records somewhere. I don't know. So the subtitle of this message is out of those last handful of verses. Wise or foolish? Wise or foolish? And we're going to see it get insights from the Lord for our own lives, our own families, our own ministries, churches, and communities. Wise or foolish? I want to go back to several verses here in chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. I'm going to read them again, and it's, it's focusing us on prayer. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, these three verbs, these three actions, asking, seeking, and knocking, that's for us to do, to be active. Of course, these are heart actions, something that we can do in our own heart, uh, though it may be demonstrated outwardly as well. But they're in this uh, present tense of Greek, in the Greek language, uh, and when it was re- originally written. And for a Greek language, that means it's a continual action. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just uh, a one-time and you're done. It's not a one-and-done. I, I hope... Calipari gets it going again next year, don't you? I mean, this last basketball season was rough. But it's not a one and done. It's a long-term plan. It's a long-term way of approaching. It's a lifelong pursuit, not a sprint of we keep asking, we keep seeking and knocking. 
He goes on to say, verse 9, Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a, give him a snake, will he? In this um, set of sermons here, there's actually a number of just ridiculous things that Jesus said to grab their attention, to give them an image, so much so that he would have gotten chuckles and laughs from the crowd. Remember earlier he's, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if your hand calls you to sin, cut it off. And that would have gotten their attention and say, what? What do you mean by that? Here's another one. It's like, what, what do you, this is ridiculous. A, a father wouldn't give a, his child who needs nourishment and food and give him a stone. Come on, gnaw on that kid. You know, just wear down and sharpen your teeth a little bit. It, it's just ridiculous. Or even more so, they knew what snakes were in those rocky areas where they lived in Israel. That was common, and, and they were considered dangerous. They were considered a symbol of danger and the enemy. And here he is, you need a fish to have nutrients and something to eat, and, and it's, oh, this is great. Oh, no, you get a snake instead that can harm them and poison them or hurt them and scare them. This is ludicrous. Why are you even... And he's putting these, these really crazy illustrations in their mind. And he says in verse 11... If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So this is such an emphasis on the goodness of God. He's, he's bringing this message to a close, and he actually gives some warnings at the end. But he, before he gives those warnings, he says, this is just common sense. God is a father, and even you're not perfect. You make mistakes. You're evil. But just think how good the father is. And when he works and when he moves, when he is working in your life, it is to give you something good, good nourishment and the bread of life, good nourishment with fish. This is, this is nourishment for your eternal life, and these are good things. Trust in me. I'm a good, good father. Run to the Father. There's grace there. Robert Stearns, who's one of my old friends, and we haven't been able to connect now in a number of years, but he speaks internationally and in, uh, in, in around the country, the world, and particularly in Israel. So he sees often what's going on in Israel and the Middle East and Islamic nations. And he said, internationally in the world, there's just a couple of simple questions that people are going to be asking in this day and age. Is, is God real? Is God good? Because yes, there are other religions out there like Islam that says, yeah, God is real. But once you get to know him and follow him, it's, I don't know if this is good. Is he loving? Is he gracious? Is he kind? Is he a good father that he's motivated to give what is right and good to his children? You can trust him. So Jesus is saying in his, this long message of his, say, yes, not only is God real, but he is good. He can be trusted. You trust each other as fathers. Trust even more so in the heavenly father. So then the rest of this chapter, the way he ends this message is with, you have four cho choices, folks, and with each choice, I'm giving you a warning. 
There's four choices with four warnings. Please listen carefully. And these are just total opposite choices, directions and uh, uh, results in a person's life. There's, it's, it's not one halfway and there's not one. It's these really opposite choices. Number one, he goes into the story of the narrow gate and the narrow way. That it's, there's a remnant. It's a s- smaller group and among your friends. It's a smaller group at work. You're not going to find big crowds and majorities of following me. It's a narrow way. So there's a choice you have to wait because the crowd, and you're going to feel that peer pressure. You're going to feel that flow is going to pull you, drift you in that other direction where everybody else is having fun. This is great. But there's destruction on the other end. I'm warning you. In your decision-making, please realize if you're going with the flow and the crowd, just whatever, it's probably ending in destruction. He's warning you. He's letting you know in advance. The second uh, choice with the warning is that there's a good tree that produces good fruit and that means it's coming from good roots and good, good stumps and branches and leaves. And then finally fruit comes out. And then there's bad tree with bad roots and unhealthy branches and leaves. And what eventually comes out of there is bad fruit. And I'm telling you, as you know, we're in a farming community. It's useless if it's producing bad fruit. It's going to be cut down and just getting out of the way. So I'm letting you know in advance Choose what is spiritually healthy for you on the inside. Work on your character on the inside so good fruit will eventually come out sooner than later. And because otherwise, I'm warning you, it's just going to be cut down and removed. This is just plain old farming. And they in an agricultural community with orchards and olive orchards and fig trees, they understood this, that it's just in a way, get that, that dead grapevine out and just get it, get it out of here. He's warning us in advance. Number three, there's this this opposing, uh, shocking description of someone doing miracles and prophecies and, and all this ministry is looking great on the outside, but inside they did not know him. And he says, uh, just because there's these ministry gifts on the outside and gifts of the Spirit, and even uh, doesn't mean that it, you know me. Personally, find the secret place in your life and in your heart. Get to know me. He spent time saying, I'm going to teach you how not to be a hypocrite. In the air of prayer, in the air of ministry, giving and fasting, it's do it unto me as if no one else can see it. Just do it unto me in a secret place. It'll protect you from becoming a hypocrite. Otherwise, it's possible to be a good person and do good things on the outside, and not know Christ. I, uh, during my sabbatical a couple summers ago, went to Montana on a men's retreat. And it was not just a couple of days. It was from Sunday to Friday. And the, uh, we had uh, three sessions just where we're to be alone with our Bible and notebook and pen. And we would just walk out in the fields and on the edges of the mountains and streams and and have an hour in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and two hours in the late afternoon. That's five hours just alone with God. And it was just such a wonderful time to be away in that secret place. And we had small groups that were with each other and had a couple discussion times each day. And there was this really talented, amazing 
Man, he was, he was uh, you would know the, the national, actually international company, insurance company. He was, it was geared and trained to be the next president, and he was on that track, and his health track, his health started breaking down, so he's, he was backing out of that. But the way he took notes and the way he's listening in, in his comments at each session and each small group time, he was just hungry, and he was digging, and he was so intelligent, and he was so thorough. I'm thinking, man, this, no wonder this guy's so su- successful. He's just on top of it every minute of the day. And one breakfast morning, we we're having discussion, and he s- said, well, I've been talking to our, our small group leader here, and I realized that I'm not a believer. Though he'd done many good things, very successful, and been uh, attending churches for years and raising up kids, his kids to be good, he said, and I want it now. And I sat there and watched us just watch him say this prayer of salvation. God, I repent of my sins. I turn away from him. I want a relationship with you. I just don't want a good life or success. I want you come into my heart and life. And we notice a difference. So, Lord, help us see that difference in our own lives. Let's go to the next choice and warning. It goes into our passage that we'll focus on mostly today is that we have the choice to direct ourselves as a wise person or as a foolish person. And the warning is, if you choose to be a foolish person, then the fall is great, the crash is great, it's just utter destruction. He's using examples of a house built on a rock or a house built on sand. And I just looked up, I know I've done this before in, in other sermons, it's just, it's just amazing to see the different houses out there. Here's one that's built on unsure ground. Looks like the leading tower of Pisa, doesn't it? Wouldn't go into that house. Looks pretty dangerous. Here's another one that was on a beach somewhere. Built on sand, literally. Probably hit by a hurricane, perhaps. There's the remnant of it left. Remnants of it left. A real big storm, not a little storm. There's floods that come with the heavy rains. And then uh, this is in Lake Delton, Wisconsin in 2008, a flood just wiped out some houses that were too close to the lake. And the destruction was great. Jesus is making these illustrations, these images far out. This is ridiculous. It's almost funny. What do you what do you even to give us images to hang on? Now in scripture and in life, there's different types of houses. We're we're called as individuals, as a person. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the house of God inside of us our families can be a symbol of a house the house of david and the, our homes it's a like a house our our ministry our church is a house of god or a house for the lord our communities can be seen as a house uh, for god the house of congress the white house our nation or our community here and so there's 
a pursuit of wisdom in one direction for our families, for our churches, for our communities, or for foolishness. This comparison of homes built with wisdom or not is just common sense. We know about it already growing up. We have the three little pigs growing up. And if I can remember it, how it goes, it's mama pig has three pigs and they all go out. They're old enough to get out of the house and they go out and build their own houses. And the youngest builds his with a straw and the next one builds his with some sticks. And then the oldest, I guess the oldest are always the wisest of the siblings. Any oldest siblings in here? Is that true? Okay. You're the oldest. You're the wisest. Built his house with bricks because he knew that this terrifying wolf was, I didn't know wolves had big lungs, but had such big lungs that he could blow houses down. And so here comes the wolf, and sure enough, he blows the straw house down. And I don't know how a pig can outrun a wolf, but somehow it runs to the next house in time and gets in the house with sticks, and the wolf comes, and he blows this house down with sticks. And those two pigs outrun the wolf and get to the brother's, oldest brother's house. If I was the oldest brother, I'd say, no way, listen, there's not enough room in here. You got to stay out there. But they come in there, and that wolf could not blow the house down. It's another illustration how the way you build your life, when danger comes, when the enemy comes, you can do it so well that it's not going to be destroyed. And Jesus is telling us, how to do this. Let's read this passage and glean a little bit more from it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So we see that they had um, these, let me just keep reading. Verse 27, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so I want to give a quick definition, I believe it's a biblical definition of what wisdom is and what foolish is. This is our choice today. This is how Jesus ends this greatest sermon at the end. It says, he says this, a person of wisdom is when someone obeys God's word in his or her life. So many times we think that wisdom is someone who has a PhD and a doctorate and they can just pontificate and go on and on and on and And knowledge is good, and Proverbs teaches that knowledge is good, and understanding is good, and that's part of it. But in the end, wisdom is our goal. And it's a person of wisdom. It's not how smart they are, intelligent they are, but it's we can see it with their life. We can see it. It's it's someone who obeys God's word, and and we see that. It's not just hear it, because it could just be a bunch of knowledge and wisdom, I mean, excuse me, and understanding. And in their life, there might not be any evidence of that. It's possible to to study even God's Word so much and have a level of knowledge, but our obedience level is lower than that. We want God to ask us, Lord, 
let us obey you with the level that the knowledge we have. Definition of foolish is when someone chooses not to follow God's word in his or her life. It is a choice because God gives us grace to go in the direction of wisdom. But there's a choice that we make. Some interesting things, if you think about this illustration, this image that God wants us to have at the end of this message, is that these men had a lot of similar, uh, similarities. They both had a dream of a future, of, of having a home and a place for their family and, and to develop their life and have impact in that community. They both had a dream. Uh, they were both listening uh, to the word of God. Both of them were good churchgoers, listened to great dynamic preaching like mine, and, uh, and, and would even re-listen to them online sometimes, you know. And They were good listeners, both of them were good listeners. Maybe both of them had good Bible apps, which I like, and to listen in the car and when I'm working outside to listen to the Word of God. So they both would take that in. You know, I'm thankful to you and you're kind and gracious to me and all preachers appreciate encouragement. And when you say things like, oh, Stephen, that was a good message or that point was really impacting me thank you so much and and i i say thank you but i want to tell you that every preacher i believe it's close to 100 percent. if it's 98 99 maybe 100 percent of preachers we all know that no matter how well we deliver it no matter how much time we put in it to no matter what kind of illustrations we had in the end it's just you and the holy spirit during the week And every preacher, I, can, I believe it's every preacher, before they leave the church building or as they're driving home or when they're eating lunch, the prayer in their heart is, oh, God, may the, the truths of your word stick with someone today into this week, have transformation. I don't need them to remember my outline or my favorite points or whatever, but just that there's transformation between you and him or her during the week. Oh, Lord, please, let it not be for naught. For nothing, let it be for fruitfulness in their lives. Jeremiah 3.15 says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. But it's between you and the Holy Spirit, God working in you to bring about wisdom in your life, to obey His word. And then number three, in, this, in similarities with these two, is that both had storms in their life. The house built on a rock didn't uh, make the thunderstorm clouds go off in another direction. They, they both had storms. Be it a hurricane, a tornado, be it a, a bad hailstorm, whatever it was, both of them had the winds, the floods, the rains. And isn't that true in life? Oh, I wish that when we become a believer, that all storms just ceased. I believe that many storms do cease because we stop creating them as much. With our own sin, with our own lack of wisdom, our own foolishness. But the sin around us, the sin in the world, those they're in relationship with and those that we work with, I mean... There's going to be storms, folks. 
going to be trials. There's going to be challenges and even tribulations. But you and I, we can believe and trust God that as we live a life of wisdom, we can be a house on a rock. I've got a few images on that too. This one is an image in Greece. Metoria on top of that cliff is, is a 600-plus-year-old monastery. Those views have got to be nice. It's got to be pretty easy to pray up there, wouldn't you say? I guess that's why they did it, huh? All that challenge to get all that materials up there to build that thing and live up there to help them pray, see the heavenlies and see these beautiful views. But a house that's on a rock is going to stay put for a long time. It's going to be around. And when it, I know for me growing up, um, both my parents were from Lynchburg where I grew up, Lynchburg, Virginia. And I could go to grandma and my grandparents' house on either side of the family, and those were the homes that my parents grew up in. Those homes are still there. And I just, it's just something special about being in grandma's house. Because you can imagine that your mom was out there running in the yard too and going out to the barn, out in the farm. But your dad was playing football like you were at Thanksgiving, and he played football too in the same backyard. There's a history in homes that last. There's an admiration. There's, wow, look at the people that grew up here. Look at the people that visited here. When you live in Philadelphia, you get to experience this in a real way. You get to, real way, you get to go to Independence Hall, where our founding fathers, they signed the Declaration of Independence and then later the Constitution. You can go into those same rooms and walk in those same buildings, and these buildings are still there, and you just imagine, wow, the history, the generations that have, what have the decisions that have made, the impact that has happened in these homes and buildings. You can go to Christ Church in downtown Philadelphia, still a church today. It's also a touring church where you, they can make some money down and down in the city, and they show you where pews, these boxes where certain founding fathers would sit when they were in town, like George Washington and others. So when these homes last, the life, when your house lasts strong, every year, every five years, every decade, as it adds on, it's an admiration. There's history. You've been through storms. You've been through relationships. And it's admirable. It's, it's noble. It's we look up to you and we say, wow, amazing what you've been through and you've persevered and you're so much more wise for it. How about this house in Festus, Missouri? A house in a cave. It's not just built on a house. It's built surrounded by, built on a rock. It's surrounded by a rock. They should sell tickets. I'd like to get into there and check it out. In northern Italy, there's a whole town built on a rock. A little harbor there below. Didn't that look beautiful? Some gorgeous views there. Jesus wants us it, it, to, to say, yes, absolutely, I would build my house on a rock. In Israel, the ancient Israelis listened to that day would go, what? Who, who would build a house on sand? That's ridiculous. Every, this is almost a silly illustration. Everybody knows you won't do that. There's sand, and there's a lot of rock in Israel, and there's sand. 
But there was differences about these two men. Those were similarities. But there are some differences. One was called wise and one was called foolish. One applied the word of God in his life and one did not. They put it into practice. They obeyed the teachings of Jesus. These three chapters are, in a sense, Jesus is saying, obey these three chapters, this sermon I just gave you. And then, of course, all the Bible is God's Word. But I have put together these two cards. You can grab them on the way out if you had not gotten one yet. One is in the Sermon on the Mount. There is the, what often people call the Lord's Prayer that's recited in many churches every Sunday. I call it the disciples' prayer because he said, this is how I'll teach you how to pray. This is for you to pray. And I, I like to call it the Papa's prayer because every time we, we, we pray, we're going to Papa and is to praise Papa. We're going to the promise room of Papa. We're, his, the Papa gives provision. Papa gives pardon. Papa gives protection. And Papa provides power. That was pretty good, all the peas there. I, yeah, I did. I did work on that a little bit. So here's something I have. I mean, I use this. This, this message was preached in, in 2018, um, but I use this. This is a, a very common way to pray people's devotionals. There's other type of outlines to do, and it's great, but this is, this is a good one, a rare good one. It's from, it's from the Lord himself. But So I also have this card just to summarize these three chapters, this off-white card, where I break down... Uh, kind of the list that he gave so that you can have this and you can go, Lord, what is it that you taught on, Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount? And you can go back to that and you can look up these verses and these are little summary points to help you remember these there. So you're welcome. All right, yeah, there you go. Needing that encouragement. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. So, how are you doing in getting the Word of God in your life? How are you doing with your family? If, if, you, if you're just so busy, so rushed right now, how can you get that started back up again or get it going? The other thing about the contrast of this house is one stood strong for a long time and one did not and was quickly destroyed. And that's not the desire. We have a good father. He's telling us, ask and seek and knock in these areas of your life. Don't give up. Keep asking because you will receive. You'll, you will find. It will be open to you. But, but keep pursuing because it's a long haul. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Going back to um, looking at these types of houses and the way... They're built. I, we, we had a fun little trip a couple weeks ago. We went to Chicago to visit my son, Michael, and, and we hadn't spent time in Chicago before, so we uh, had this kind of little uh, several tour group ticket things. You go to several different um, touristy things in the city, and we did a river cruise, and there's Chicago has a river going right through the middle of downtown. And... You get on the little river, the riverboat there, the nice, it's nice size, big old thing. You're definitely safe, no problem there. And there's a person 
you know, going through the uh, what's here on the left and what's here on the right. And she was an architecturally trained person. And so she would give us history about different skyscrapers and sometimes go into the, the, the way it was built and, uh, or just the history of the time of what was happening when it was built. It was very interesting. And one of the, uh, and they were built right on the edge of the water. I mean, they're right there. And you're looking up, 50, 60, 70 stories right there on the river. But the Sears Tower, which is the third tallest building in the nation, is, can be seen very easily. It's not right on the river. It's called the Willis Tower now. And I was just doing a little bit of, you know, reminding and researching to, to see how they constructed this thing. And it's 110 stories tall. Um, it's that black, tall, uh, kind of rectangular building. There's another one that's 100 stories tall called the John Hancock, and we went up to their, their, their tallest uh, viewing and got to walk all around and see some awesome views. But the Sears Tower is, uh, has got 100 feet down of just concrete foundation, 100 feet down. <clears throat> then... They go another 100 feet down with cylindrical pillars filled with concrete to get to the bedrock. So it's 200 feet down to get to bedrock. See, in, in all the soils, we've got topsoil, then we've got these different kind of soils and things, and, and it shifts and it can move around. But a house built on rocks, got a, a skyscraper's got to get to bedrock. And there it's 200 feet down. So they have these concrete pillars that get in and they, they concrete to the bedrock. And that's how that works. And it can have a skyscraper be so tall. The courageous ones in the family, it wasn't all of us, but got into the tilt on the, on the overview. And 100 stories tall, they actually tilt you out in this glass uh, enclosure. And you hang on and you're looking down like that. And it was no problem for me. It was easy. No problem. It wasn't for everybody. I'm not going to say any names, but it wasn't for everybody. <laughs> so I say these, how are you building your house? You as a person, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that place in the house, that, that couch, that chair, that represents a secret place, but more so in your heart? Can you get to the secret place when you're driving around the car? And a busy day where you take a moment and you don't let it just overpower you and keep your mind busy and you say, Lord, I, I just love you. You're amazing. And you take some moments in a secret place in your heart. Lord, I need to get the word more in my life. Is it index cards? Is it Bible apps? Is it how do you get it? Listen, find a way. I know uh, moms with young children, I don't know, I don't know how you do it, but find moments, find ways to get the Word of God into your heart and life. In your family, how's your parenting going? Is it according to biblical parenting? Do you know all the Scriptures? Have you done a study? You don't just read the Word and just say, okay, I read five minutes a day, I'm good. Have you studied on the biblical uh, scriptures related to parenting and know them. Then when you do read other material, you can say, okay, this, ref- this would work or this is helpful because it reflects this biblical principle. 
How about your marriage? Do you review those scriptures on marriage? Or, yeah, I read those 20 years ago. No, let the Word of God be alive for you today to keep transforming your family. I am, as lead pastor, lead elder of this church, and seeking God and asking God to show us this significant year that we're in. We're in the 40th year of Living Waters Church. And I believe that, that our leadership team here, we are the hinge point to the next 40 years. Lord, how is this church going to be built on your word for the next 40 years? We know how you've blessed and what you did in the first 40. What about the next 40? And so be praying with me on, on that. Is your ministry you're involved is, is that have you keep it in the word to let God guide you? Our community, our nation, our schools, our government, our law enforcement, they are the same. If they leave Judeo-Christian values and biblical values and say, we've got a progressive, we've got a new way to do this, we've got a this and that, be careful if you're drifting away from the word of God in that community, in that state, in that nation, because great and sudden can be that destruction. I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and come up and we're going to have a, just a quick here conclusion, then go into getting preparing our hearts for communion. Again, if you haven't gotten one of these, we have those in the back tables. This is so important, and just the simple take-home, three simple steps. Jesus makes it simple. I didn't say it was easy. And I didn't say that there wouldn't be any storms and, hey, you get your house on the rock, there's no uh, trials and trouble. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying to stand and last through it and be one of those houses that, that others will admire and say, teach me, show me, where would you get this wisdom to, to last this long and to get through all that? Teach me, show me. Number one is to, a wise person is going to know the word. He or she knows the word makes it a priority and that that's a we get drifted off of that with different seasons of life we have to ask god's grace for that number two he acts on the word of god hey it's great to be a student of the word it's it's god's will to be a student of the word but let's not just be a hearer only but a doer as well let's not have faith without works because that's dead it's our faith and what's happening inside us and it's it's actually stepping out and doing it putting it into practice and then that last step is you'll withstand the storms the storms will come you'll withstand them and you'll get to tell others and teach others about them and with it and through it I know that I've said in actually a couple times during this seven-part series that we need to be careful about pride and judging others and looking down on others and saying, well, I would never do that. That's just horrible. But I want to add something to that. You can say, God, by your grace, I hope to never do that. I determined not to do that, but Lord, I don't do it 
with my own strength and will and determine. I do it with the promise of the abundance of your grace. I commit to live a pure life, to live a loyal life uh, to, to my spouse, uh, uh, to my family, Lord, a, a committed life of holiness before you. I commit to that by your grace, and you want this. You're a good father. This is something you want me to have and experience. So I can have peace. I can have rest. I, I didn't want, and I hope it hadn't come out to this, that this three, uh, three chapters, man, this is just another bunch of do's and don'ts. Instead of Ten Commandments, there's a bunch of commandments on me. No, it's not that. This is empowerment by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, for us, for us to do His Word. The Apostle Paul said it like this. You know, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a leader in coming after the new Christians in the book of Acts. He was the most unlikely leader to, be, to become uh, a leader in the church at all, much, much less be saved. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with them. Excuse me. But the grace of God with me. So he's saying, listen, this is shocking that I'm a believer, much less a leader. And here he is. He became the, the one who wrote most of the New Testament. And that was by the Spirit of God. And he said, listen, that was the grace of God in me. But I did. I worked hard. I labored hard. Let me tell you, I did not slow down. I went forward with all my heart. But he said, but that was the grace of God with me. I, I can't take credit and say, look at how strong I was and hope and just determined. And, woohoo. No, but the grace of God with me. And so I want us to direct our to this. Everybody okay? <laughs> Who was sleeping? <laughs> it's okay. The Holy Spirit, you're going to sleep. The Spirit of God still work. Just don't fall in, off your chair and hurt yourself. Where is he? So, communion today is a reminder that like Paul, there's sufficient grace to live a wise life that obeys his word. Christ has done the work. This is his, his whole reason for coming. He says, yes, I'm holy, be holy, but I am the way. I'm the way for you and to you. Uh, to me, I'm the way to to my Father. I'm the way. I stand in the gap in between you and my Father. He's a good Father. I want to connect you. And I did that on the cross. By taking the punishment that you deserved from your disobedience and sin and connecting you to the Father. So my forgiveness that comes from my blood makes us connected to the Father. Now you can Receive the good Father's heart and these good gifts He has for you. Those of us who are already a, a Christian and believer, we need reminding that it's that God's it's God's Christ work in us. It's our identity in Christ. We're in Him. We don't have to produce this good life or holy life on our own.
So I'm going to read uh, the passage of communion in 1 Corinthians 11. We'll take each element there as uh, we go through this passage. And then we have this worship song to keep seeking the Lord with. And then after a few moments, I'll dismiss you with a blessing. As Paul was writing here, and he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Feel free to take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you, <clears throat> as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those here and those at home as well, go ahead and receive the juice. Thank you, Lord, for your cleansing work. You went before us and did it in advance. Thank you that we receive your cleansing by your blood. Thank you for your empowerment from your resurrection, that that body and that blood spilled was alive again three, la- uh, three days later, forever and ever. And that resurrection power is for us. It's that grace to follow you, to obey you in your word. 